0: Hundreds of thousands of women around the world suffering for decades, being told it's normal, take a painkiller, and yet they've got endometriosis. That is what we're talking about on today's show. If all the
1: birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of.
2: His wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork
0: light. Hello, and welcome to the Low Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 309, and I have a wonderful naturopath joining me today. Alexandra Middleton, a.k.a. Alex, just like me, and uh, we're having a conversation about endometriosis. So how this came to be an important issue for Alex was a very personal one. And, in fact, it's why she left investment banking and studied to be a naturopath nutritionist because – for yonks she was actually kept in the dark about her own health told to pop a painkiller when she had really painful periods a bunch of other symptoms and it wasn't until a few years into the piece where endometriosis was discovered Uh, and we talk today about uh, the system failing so many women Uh, We talk about symptoms, we talk about uh, support, we talk about strategies around needing surgery, uh, we talk about hormone testing and when is the best time to test which hormones at which point in the cycle, and we also talk about fertility. So it's quite a wide-ranging chat and I can feel a member masterclass coming on about this because – it was one of those ones that I, I just knew people would then want to dive deeper and and uh, ask more questions. So you let me know on socials if that's you. Uh, I can make things happen, people. Uh, and this was a really powerful conversation with someone who has very much trodden the disappointing path, being in the dark about their health, being convinced there's something wrong when many people told her, no, you're normal, it's fine, there isn't, go away. Uh, and now uh, Alex works to literally have women not experience what she has experienced herself in terms of the, the gaslighting and uh, and being in the dark about your own health journey. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we've got some notes in the show notes to connect with Alex's work uh, and it's uh, it's a very exciting to be able to play a small role in helping drive awareness for endometriosis when so many people suffer from it and uh, aren't getting the support they need early on in the piece uh, or at all for that matter. So the people who bring this show to you each week, well, it's me and my guests, but the brands help bring it uh, to you and I in turn absolutely love sharing some of my favourites. Uh, one being, of course, our major sponsor this year, OzClimate. Uh, they are giving you an extra 10% off their already excellent prices. OzClimate.com.au. All you have to do is enter Lotox Life at the checkout for any of the air filters, the Winix air filters. Uh, and purifiers that they have or the dehumidifiers that they also range. And there's many different shapes and sizes. So make sure you're thinking about how large your spaces are that you need to filter or dehumidify when you're making your choice. If you're really not sure, you can even give them a buzz or pop them an email, um, share a little bit about your house, your climate, and they will help you choose the perfect unit. Um, I will say coming into the more humid part of the year here in Australia on the East Coast, uh, please don't be without dehumidification this season. Uh, There were so many people with all the rain who might not necessarily have had water damage but who were still dealing with mould simply because of the indoor air humidity excess. So we do not want our indoor air humidity over 60%. A lot of mold technicians and specialists, like one of our past show guests, Michael Rubino, says somewhere between 40 and 50% is actually the ideal. Uh, and really a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to open the windows, that'll give me some fresh air, but if it's 90% humidity outside, that's just going to make things worse. So we need to dry things out really regularly, and dehumidifiers are going to help you do that. Uh, I dry out the bathroom after our nightly family showers. We have not had to clean mould for years from our bathrooms simply because it's never damp enough in there for mould to grow. That's the goal, folks. Uh, So, dehumidifier is just a very special uh, appliance. Now, we also have a wonderful sponsor, the very special Dr. Bronner brand. We had the best masterclass with Lisa Bronner last week in the Low Tox Club. Uh, so full of wisdom and generosity of spirit, learnt so much from her. If you want to join us in the club, you can do that anytime, lowtoxlife.com, and then you just hit the explore tab on the homepage and join the club is the very first option. Um, I've shared a little snippet from the masterclass in the show notes from a couple of my favourite parts because it really was uh, very special to hear from Lisa. I adore her. And I love the Dr Bronner brand. They very much walk the talk. They are activists. Uh, They are very much community-driven. So a lot of their profits go into really special community and environmental projects every year. Uh, which is super powerful. But beyond that, they care also about the global communities, their sourcing partners. If you haven't listened to the show I did with Gero Lasson uh, a couple of years ago now, I've also put that link in the show notes as well as the the show that I did with Lisa, gosh, seven years ago now when I first uh, recorded the first few shows. Um, I find Dr Bronner, one of my favorite brands simply because you can use the Castile soap either in liquid or bar form in so many different ways. So when I go traveling, I I take a little mini bottle of the Castile soap liquid uh, and then i take a bar but i usually cut it up into whatever sizes i need depending on how long i'm away for and how many different stops so for example this last trip we were in london for 4 days then we were in paris for 5 and then we were with um the rest of the family for my cousin's wedding in the country for another week and So I cut three little soaps and we use those up and then you can actually just stick your tiny little soap that's left onto the big main soap. Uh, So it's like a little surrogate hanging off the side um, and then it dries out. So you're not wetting the whole bar and it's not diminishing in size that way. So then you just break it off again when you're ready in the new place if you haven't. Uh, used it all up in the prior stop. Um, I did an Instagram reel, which I'll put the link to the show notes in as well, um, which kind of blew a bunch of people's minds that you could cut up your bar soap and take it with you. I also love you you can have a vegetable peeler and you can actually just peel off um, a little sheet of soap to use just in that shower. So you can use it as a single-use soap strip if you like. Uh, You can shave your bar soap and then soak um like you know let's just say you've got enough clothes for a week but you just packed a couple of undies then you can just quickly soak your undies in a little bowl with the um shavings of soap and uh and hang those out to dry overnight um the castile liquid soap of course you can take that and then uh wash your pet on the camping trip if you need to. You can wash your hair, you can wash your body, uh, you can wash the dishes in the Airbnb. It's such a fantastic travel soap uh, with so many different uses. Uh, And then back to the bar, one of the things I really love is it just doesn't degrade. A lot of soaps uh, tend to degrade really easily and get quite slimy and soft. I find the Bronner soaps, while they might be a couple of more dollars than the average cheap mainstream product, You've obviously got a completely low-tox product but also one that's going to last a really long time. So good for you, good for the planet with the raw materials they're using and their incredible partner farm situations and communities all around the world. Uh, They're a brand that walks the talk. If you haven't tried it yet, if you've somehow lived under a low-tox rock until this point, please grab one the next time you see one in a store near you uh, and experience one of their beautiful, naturally perfumed uh, soap products or completely unscented as well. And if you need something with a bit of extra oomph, the Sal Suds product has a completely biodegradable plant-based sodium laurel sulfate that's not something you want to use as a personal care ingredient uh, that's why we use the the regular castile soap range for that but if you need to clean clothes or if you've got some really tough scouring to do on some dishes or your crock pot uh, um, then you want to hit the salsa it's a fantastic stain remover as well so that is all i have to share from our beautiful sponsors Let's now focus the conversation on endometriosis with Alex Middleton. Enjoy. Hello, Alex. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you, Alex?
0: I'm very well, thank you. Nice to have a fellow uh, namesake on the show. Now, we are talking about something so important today, and given you're a practitioner, I'm always curious to see what leads practitioners to specialize in certain areas, uh, what drew you to the minefield that is endometriosis?
1: Uh, well, the very short story is that I've had endo probably since I hit puberty, but wasn't really diagnosed till I was 22. And no one could really help me. The doctors consistently dismissed my symptoms. And by my late 20s, I decided to chuck it all in. I was working financial services and the market tanked with GFC. And I thought I'd start again and go and actually figure it out. And so I went back to study naturopathic um, medicine in Sydney and here I am.
0: How did you discover naturopathic medicine um, out of curiosity? Because that was, what, 15, 20 years ago that you were making this change. And so I remember trying to find a naturopath 20 years ago that wasn't actually very easy to do in Sydney.
1: Yeah, I think that, um, well, first of all, I'm, I'm lucky my mum was a, a, a national champion swimmer and so she brought me up taking spirulina and supplements and everything like that. So I'd been to it from an early age Um, they were fed with supplements all the way back in the 50s. And then I was in, I met a woman at the dog park, actually, Um in, and she was in her last year of naturopathy at Nature Care in Sydney. And she said, Oh, why don't you come to student clinic? And so I came on to student clinic. And then I loved it so much while I was in financial services. I started to do one night a week. And then I started to notice that I was getting a little bit better and maybe, you know, addressing the root cause, which is what naturopathic medicine is about, um, amongst other things, was really how you solve a disease. And so I took the big jump and, um, slowly started practicing. And I didn't initially, you know, just talk to women with reproductive issues and endo. I've just slowly gravitated towards that. I think because of my own experience, I've been able to help them better.
0: Mm. And it feels like finally more light is being shone on endometriosis. Um, so does that mean we have some more data on just how Underdiagnosed and ignored women have been in the past. Like, how, you know, it, it just feels like we're s- when finding out it's a bigger and bigger issue than it, than anyone could have imagined.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, there's, you know, a bit of contention in the community. Is it a disease that's always been prevalent as only just kind of being uncovered, or is it a disease that's been getting worse in the last hundred years? There's a bit of evidence for both. There's definitely been, you know, a sharp increase since post-World War II, which coincidentally was the start of 100,000 different man-made schools, yeah. which I think play a massive part.
0: Massive. Um, and ultra-processed food and on and on and we go. Up. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, you know, also the education's getting better, the media, and there's been a lot of campaigns around awareness and Demetrius Australia been great in it. People are just generally getting more aware that, all the symptoms of endo, big, painful, heavy periods um, that cause fatigue and a whole lot of other symptoms. It might be a common period scenario, but it's not normal. And there's a difference. Um, and I think historically doctors have told women, oh, that's normal, you know, just go away, take some aphrodisiac and a hot water bottle. And it's not normal.
0: Yeah. And so what is actually happening in the development of endometriosis? We know that it's referred to in stages can you talk to us a little bit about the biological development of the disease what's happening
1: yeah so so first of all there are stages stages is something where they talk about the severity of the disease but it's important to remember that the stages don't always correlate to the symptom severity some people can have severe symptoms and vice versa um in terms there are three different kind of presentations with endo you've got superficial peritoneal endometriosis, which probably accounts for 70% of cases. And they're the cases that actually aren't that helped by surgery. Um, so says the data. And um, so
0: superficial peritoneal. So what is it then if it's not helped by surgery?
1: So it's, so like, it's tiny dots and gloves. So this is your, your peritoneal cavity is the big trunk around your waist spread out, you know, superficially. Um, the other two types of endo endometriomas, otherwise known as ovarian endometrio- endometriosis, and then deep infiltrating endometriosis. And it's those two, the last two in particular, where you get the bigger symptoms, the bigger complications. Deep infiltrating endometriosis usually means the involvement of other organs like the bowel, for example, which is super common. Um, you know, and I think that's another reason women have gone really underdiagnosed. the testing has not been there to date. The the gold standard for diagnosis is still a laparoscopy, although that conversation is slowly changing. Um, Ultrasounds, for the most part, I can tell you in Sydney, there are maybe two sonography centres that I would ever refer to because ultrasounds are still deep endometrial scans. The ones that need to be performed for women with endo aren't being performed correctly. They need to be done at a particular time of the cycle. They also need to performed when the bowel is empty, because if the bowel's not empty, you know, how can you see through things with an ultrasound? Um, and they can give you a pretty good idea. It's, some, it's often not always the same once they open you well. up. Uh, so, yeah, so the three different so the stages, the, the different types of endometriosis, in terms of what causes it, if you speak to a doctor, he'll, they'll just tell you what they say is a cause is actually a symptom. So it's an inflammatory disease, it's a hormonal disease. <clears throat> It's a genetic disease where, with no kind of uh, acknowledgement that genes turn on and off all the time according to a person's environment and stress. Um, But I think it's fair to say it's definitely an, an immunological disease. There's a huge dysfunction in the immune system that underpins endometriosis. Uh, it's a disease of, you know, poor clearance of pretty much everything from the liver, everything from old hormones, mould, you know, environmental toxins that we can talk about later. Uh, and it's definitely a microbial disease, which definitely goes missed by doctors. Um, it's a huge part of the work I do with women with endo. You know, this this concept of bacterial contamination, particularly from the gut you know, people, a lot of people have heard of a leaky gut, which, you know, most people living in a modern city have these days. Um, and so with the leaky gut, the lining of your gut, if you imagine it rather than being um, like a fine sieve which lets the good things through and the not good things through, not through, it's a big net that lets everything through, including, you know, bacteria that's not meant to go through and it can, amongst a hundred different other things, fuel the fire when it comes to endometriosis. So taking care of that. Bacterial component. Also, it's not just gastrointestinal, even gynecological bacterial um imbalances can cause issues as well. And that's all pretty well documented in the research.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you say microbial, that's really interesting. Uh you mentioned leaky gut there. Um what are some of the things? Is it an advanced stool test that you bring into the mix to have a look at what's going on down there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And the private testing come a long way too you know there's a there's a particular test through a private lab called a complete microbiome map. um and listen you know just to preface it with the the ecology of the gut and all the other microbiomes in the system are very dynamic so it's only ever giving us a snapshot um but the, good, the great thing about those tests particularly for women with endometriosis is for a couple of the the, the tests within the complete result they use pcr technology PCX technology is useful because what it's picking up on is the tiniest of tiny DNA fragments of a bug that could potentially be there. And if we talk about GI infections, for example, that definitely affect women with endo that isn't particularly researched, you know, in, particularly in Australia, parasites, um, you know, in the East Coast, people like to go on holiday to India, Bali, Thailand. Fiji, South Pacific, where the water isn't particularly great, and they go away and they have a bout of traveller's diarrhoea and either they get better on their own or maybe their GP gives them a course of flagell, which is like the atomic bomb of anti- antibiotics. But often it all subside symptoms, but it doesn't actually get rid of the bug itself. And what a common picture is is you get this kind of chronic sort of picture, fatigue, bloating, you know, gastrointestinal issues, what doctors will call IBS, diarrhea, constipation, and a flare-up of endosymptoms. And it can get missed because the the women can go to the GP and and tell them what's happened, and the GP will do a stool test, but what they're doing is a test called a culture test, which is essentially looking under a microscope. So you miss, the bugs are often missed. And so coming back to the test you were asking about, the cool thing about those tests is that, it gives us the accurate result. And very often, you know, infections, particularly parasites, come up. Um, Some you can treat naturally. Some of them, you know, I'm very balanced in terms of sometimes you need the drugs. Um, It's always about a risk-benefit. And a couple of the parasites that are really nasty that really cause problems, they're very often, you know, they do better when they get, you know, specialised treatment. And so I refer them to places like the Centre of Digestive Diseases where they are, you know, expert they have expertise in in doing you know the triple therapy, three different types of antibiotics, and I support them naturally around that. People sometimes women with endo get so much relief just for that they don't even come back.
0: <laughs> wow!
1: All of a the sudden they you know they drop two dress sizes, the digestion's working again, and the fatigue is dramatically reduced. So
0: so could that be then that um, once we actually start to look at root causes more rather than it's an inflammatory disease, let's treat the inflammation which you know, it feels like we're coming way, way down the road to treat this thing instead of looking back. Does, is that um, why so many women see resolution in that? And then you alluded to environmental toxins before. Um, I'm thinking of my own journey with SERS. I haven't had um, uh, problems with my periods, thankfully. However, if one did and one lived in a moldy home and, you know, you had that um, like I always say with multi-system inflammation, it's just about the weaknesses that come through in that individual, either genetically or from certain lifestyle things or exposures. And um, and so it could be digestion and mould. Like they could really um, be the big issue and therefore you move out and um, that resolves, which then resolves the tendency to inflammation um and endometriosis is that am i close there
1: yeah yeah you're at the you're at the tip of the iceberg it's usually a combination of 10 different things to be honest the endo endo is in my opinion an expression of all those other things that are going wrong or impacting the body um it's a firestorm of a whole lot of other things that contribute um in terms of toxins i mean i especially in the east coast of australia the last two years you mentioned um Uh, you know, mould and the mycotoxins from mould, the water damage in houses, offices, cars even, um, is horrific with all the rain we've had. And most people aren't aware that, I think last time I checked, there's one in five people have this gene called HLAQ, and you would know about this, where you've got that genetic susceptibility and you have this big mould mycotoxin exposure, and you breathe, so microtoxins are basically the in simplified terms, the top the poison that the mold's breathing in and out. And it, it's so it's so tiny, it can permeate brick. And so if you're lying in your bed and there's mold inside, you know, inside your wall somewhere, and you're breathing it in and out all night, all of a sudden your symptoms start to go downhill, your endo symptoms fatigue, but your husband's okay, maybe you've got the genetic susceptibility. And with women with endo, <clears throat> one of the things mycotoxins do is it stimulates the thing in the liver called aromatase, and that upregulates, you know, estrogens, which can then go on to feed more endometriosis lesions. So, you know, you, you, you definitely see a worsening of symptoms with endo, with, with mold water-damaged buildings. Um, I, like I mentioned before, I went 10 years with no endosymptoms between my first surgery and my second, no, it's more than that, 14 years, and I moved into a water-damaged place unknowingly in Paddington and went severely downhill. Um ended up having two more surgeries purely because of the water damage. And so now one of my best referring relationships is with a building biologist because you can do all the right things with food, exercise, supplements, medicines, whatever it is. But if you're you've got that genetic susceptibility and you're living in a house that's secreting essentially poison for your system, you're probably not going to recover. You're better off spending money fixing your external environment. And that, that's really hard for a lot of women in Endo, particularly the age group. I see a lot of women between 20 and 35 who are still renting and their landlords, you know, just don't want to spend the money. There's no legislation to protect tenants, um, you know, and they get really stuck. Some of them move back in with their parents to get, you know, and straight away they will feel better. One of the things I'll do apart from referring is making sure we go through a very long list of anything that could have been exposed to mold or water damage in the house that you lived in previously. Because if you take, for example, a mattress or a couch or books, even that have been exposed to the mold in one house and you take them with you the next house, you're probably not going to get symptom relief. So, I mean, you would know with mold.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
0: Um, Um, you're preaching to the choir here. And I think. It's really. Um, I'll put just in case this is the first podcast of mine anyone's listening to. Um, I've talked extensively, extensively about SERS from my own horrific journey. Um, I really wanted people to know uh, and be able to join the dots. So I'll put in the show notes the link to the uh, mould aggregated post that has all the shows we've done on it um, and you can deep dive if you think that might be an issue for you and endo. I mean, you know, what What an incredible stone turned that someone could finally go, oh my gosh, it's my house. I've got to get out of here. Um, you mentioned uh, offline before we pressed record that you actually found an interesting environmental toxin in your head. Uh, that led you to start feeling better. I want Uh, you to share what you figured out because that's a big one as well.
1: Yeah, and it's actually a big one that I I deal with in clinic with women with it and with a lot of other people, to be fair. Um, so as uh, the story I was telling was, you know, I had a a doctor gaslight me when I had symptoms in my early 20s, he agreed to do surgery, finally had the surgery done, I had stage three um then I went on my own journey over my 20s trying to figure out what was driving my endo in a class I did in my final year we were talking about the detoxification of heavy metals which is called chelation and we learned about amalgam fillings which um last time I checked were I think 30% silver and 50% methylmercury and methylmercury is one of the craziest neurotoxins around for, for hormones and the brain yeah and i had six or seven of them and and you know feelings if they go deep enough you've got direct access to the blood flow because the nerve can actually start going into them and so i started to um unravel that with an amazing integrative doctor in manly at the time um turned out i had mercury poisoning started to di- had the fillings removed and you have to be very careful about who you go and see um oh have-
0: absolutely you know. Yeah, shout-out of- to Sydney Holistic Dental Centre. Shout-out
1: to Ron, Center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, you always want a dental dam protecting the back of your throat and oxygen mask, and, you, yeah, you want to be very careful about who you go to, otherwise your levels can actually go up. Um, so at the time I figured this out and I slowly started to detox, and sometimes the natural stuff helps, but sometimes, you know, there's, there's a couple of things that integrative doctors can give you which can also help get the metal out. And within four months, I I lost 10 kilos without doing anything. I felt like a cloud had lifted from my brain with anxiety and depression. You know, the the expression mad as a hatter, that comes from mercury poisoning, you know, with the hat makers in the UK a few hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, And how crazily it would affect the brain. Um, My thyroid problem got a bit better at the time. And then I saw that surgeon again um, 10 years later and I turned around to him and I, the guy who had told me that it had been in my head. And I said, yeah, you were right. It was in my head. (laughs) Um, He he of course didn't listen. But, um, you know, checking for heavy metals is a huge part of it. Um, Heavy metals can lead to increased estrogen again, increased oxidative stress, which is another big part of the inflammatory picture. Um, Yeah, so dental amalgam. Listen, last time I checked on the Australian dental website, They're not illegal, and I think they're not illegal yet because they'd have a 1,000 different lawsuits on their hands. Exactly. It's the
0: same (laughs) as mould legislation. We don't have any because there would be a ton of lawsuits and no one can actually afford to deal with mould.
1: That's right. But last Mm. time I checked on the Dental Association's um, warnings, they had some pretty big warnings for the vulnerable, like pregnant women, the elderly, um, young babies and stuff uh so yeah heavy metals are a really big one you really need to detox from them under supervision versus ordering really crazy strong stuff from america which can go wrong which has happened before but yeah that's been a huge part And, and heavy metals love fatty tissue fatty tissue being the brain some of the you know the endocrine organs like the thyroid the ovaries in particular the lining of the stomach um, and they love, yeah, and they hide in the fat, so it's a particular type of detox process. But that happens with women, the process I go through with women with endo, that's further down the line because most women with endo, if you, their guts are in a mess, their, their liver isn't working very well. And so if you were to detox someone from heavy metals and the gut and liver aren't working very well, you're going to basically not be able to get rid of everything that you're pulling out of the tissues and you're going to feel even worse. Um so, yeah, it's a really big part. Um, again, strong relationships with Sydney, holistic Sydney, <laughs> Yeah, I um, know.
0: I, I refer a bunch of people to them as well. And we've actually got a really good practitioner list um, for some national resources. If you're from overseas and you're listening to this, please feel free to send yours through as well. I'd love to just have a compendium that everyone can just go to and, and be supported by. Um, so let's talk about, how it feels to be told something's in your head Uh, because I think that for me is one of the most um, depressing and I don't mean depressing in a blow-off kind of way. I mean it is actually depressing to be told something's in your head when you are experiencing something. And when we look historically at how much medical research has been done on women's health, um, versus the, the male specimens who've been offered up for research, the bulk of whom were young military servicemen in America, um, which is really not going to help us with endometriosis. Um, how do you see women showing up to your clinic finally? Uh, because naturopathy tends to be an end-of-the-line search I know it has it was for me with tonsillitis and and it was very much the last thing I tried Uh, I'd imagine endo would be similar um, for the busy modern conventional uh, ladies who try everything the way you know how to try and then have to start looking outside the box when it doesn't work how do they end up with you uh in terms of what's their mental health like by that stage, what's their financial situation like by that stage? Because a lot of people spend a lot trying to figure out what's wrong. What are you seeing?
1: Uh so I would say it's split. a lot of people assume, because I, I specialize in helping women with endo, that it's women who know they have endo that are coming to me. If I if, pro- if I had to look at it, it's probably like a 60, 40 split 60% of the women I see have no idea they've got it, Um, you know, whether they've got silent endo and they're just expressing symptoms, maybe just a fatigue and it looks like gut and it's been missed or they can't get pregnant. Um, But that 60% have just not been taken care of the medical. Either they've been, you know, they've experienced medical gaslighting, which I don't think is an intentional thing a lot of the time on behalf of the doctors. I just think it comes out of ignorance. And anyone that knows most doctors particularly GPs um a lot of GPs are overworked underpaid and the time they've got for education is their 15 minutes of lunch when a pharmaceutical rep's jumping in and so and they're they're the generalists of the doctors and so I kind of I you know I have sympathy for them in that respect me too
0: absolutely
1: and so a lot of the women come to me having been unintentionally gaslit for years and it just hasn't picked been picked up but again as also a lot of that has come back to you know the, the lack of being able to clinically diagnose endo properly, and now there are certain blood biomarkers, like I mentioned, that specialist ultrasound. Where if you put it together, you can and with symptoms, you can get a pretty good idea. Um, so that sixty percent of women, <clears throat> when they when we finally figure it out, they're the biggest thing is they're absolutely relieved. They feel vindicated, which I think is super important. You know, I'm really big at communicating with doctors, so I'm constantly writing letters to justify whatever they're telling. <laughs> so that helps. Um, and then the forty other forty percent who are coming to me as literally a last port of call, um, they're exhausted. Again, they what usually happens with those women with endo is we start unraveling, in, you know, all the other different things that are going on. Endo is never just there; it's on its own, in my experience. There's usually three or four other things that are accompanying it, and you know, they which they're completely unaware of, like they're living in a moldy house. And, oh, I never thought of that might be driving my endo symptoms, or. Another classic one is, you know, thyroid issues. So classic, you know, hyperthyroidism or Hashimoto's is definitely associated with, you know, the prevalence of endometriosis and the thyroid ranges that most doctors are reading, not the good endocrinologists in Sydney, but the GPs, they're really out of date. And they're not, and also funding got cut to Medicare, I can't remember, nearly 10 years ago, where they're, you know, if, if the main thyroid hormone TSH is at a certain level, we're not going to check the rest of them. All these other different kind of subtleties that can be, you know, going on dysfunctionally with, with thyroid issues can be missed too. And that just fixing the thyroid, all of a sudden they can get huge symptom relief with, you know, their heavy periods um, and their fatigue. And so those women, it's about <clears throat> filling in the gaps and getting, the symptom relief comes as part of addressing the cause. And I think that's the biggest thing that probably attracted me to naturopathic medicine was, you know, naturopathic physicians whether they're naturopathic doctors naturopaths naturopathic nutritionists we're always looking for the root cause and we're always looking to treat the person as a whole conventional medicine everything is compartmentalized and quite often those specialists aren't actually talking to each other
2: (laughs) yeah Um,
1: yeah and
0: and to your point with gps i even said this in my ted talk last week on mold um you know, It's very hard to operate in a world where you are watched and scrutinised every day and where you don't have medical consensus to work with. Um, until there's consensus where you can label something a disease rather than a syndrome, it's very hard for a GP that has 15 minutes with someone um, and not many hours outside of work to um, brush up on everything all the time. Uh, to to really help patients when there are these more either emerging or complicated um, pictures where you don't have a clear um, specialist to even refer to, it's like oh someone's inflamed. Where am I going to send them? Rheumatologist? Well, that's not going to work, um, you know. And and so I really think what's broken is that diagnostic picture for something like endometriosis. We're not getting there fast enough. So i just want to be super clear on something that you mentioned you mentioned the special type of scan
2: yes and you mentioned
0: the special time of the month i wanted to come back to it because it just popped into my head if someone doesn't get given the time in their cycle that they need to go and get the scan um what is it so that they can just know um and and go in the right time frame
1: uh so the good so ultrasound care sydney they're they've got different clinics around town they're really great just in case anyone needs a referral <laughs> um, and they'll always direct even if your gp doesn't they will always direct you but they they recommend last time i checked between days five and ten on your cycles so day one is the first day of bright red blood in your period count so from days five to ten somewhere in between there and then you've got to kind of match that with when they can fit you in yeah and then the second important thing so you they can check for deep infiltrating endo is having an empty bowel now up until a year and a half ago what they used to do is get you to go to the chemist and swallow that horrific stuff they give you before oh the prep
0: stuff yeah
1: really empty but now they just get you to do the little microlax enemas that you squeeze up your bottom just to make sure your rectum is empty with where they look and so those two things combined with a specialist sonographer who's looking at women with endo all day every day and had some training um, Sydney Ultrasound Care Clinics, again, have that. Um, and then a specialist um, gyneco- gynecologist with, um, you know, some sort of radiology uh, training as well, or fellows, uh, Again, the doctors at ultrasound care do that too, um, who can actually look at the scan, knows the nuances, and can give you the, cl- the clearest analysis possible for an ultrasound. I mean, I know GPs in Sydney <laughs> that are still referring for pelvic, ultra, like just on top of your tummy, pelvic ultrasounds for endometriosis, and they're hopeless. It mm. needs to be internal deep scan.
0: Yeah, so important. And are there any, uh, and, and I feel like that's information that people could then take anywhere in the world that you're listening Absolutely, right now.
2: everywhere in the world, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and really, remember, you're the client. So audition people, say... Do you specifically help people with endometriosis? Do you, you know, you deserve to have the kind of care that people know what they're doing and they're really experienced. So don't just go, oh, you know, my doctor sent me to this one, so that must be fine. Feel free to call that um, radiology centre separately. So I just want to make sure before I come that you guys actually look at this a lot and you have a radiographer on staff because I feel like we often don't get that memo because none of us went to medical school for five, 10 years. We just feel like we have to trust and just go with the flow. And I think um, auditioning people, just like you would, I mean, you know, this morning I needed to call for a quote for something. I called four different places, said, how often have you done this? Um, Do you have any testimonials on Google, yada, yada? You know, I really wanted to make sure if I was going to spend money, it was going to happen. Yeah, that's it. And so just remember...
1: Yeah, and listen, it, this, this is a side note. If you guys want a written guide of everything Alex just said, yeah. <laughs> everything that you need to know to, to get the diagnosis and the right sort of doctor, I do have a free guide on my on my homepage. You can download and, and follow. But you know, knowing their qualifications and doing your research, it's so important, especially when it comes to seeing the specialists. Um, I actually posted about this recently. You know, there I I could tell you four stories a year we a gynecologist without surgical training or specific training around laparoscopic surgery or a specialty in endometriosis has performed surgery and it's gone wrong.
0: Oh, my God.
1: I have one client a few years ago who ended up meant to be in hospital for five days, was in there for nearly eight weeks because the person who didn't have the right quals nicked her bowel and she went into sepsis and nearly died. Um, So, and there's no regulation around that apparently. So you, you really want to know what kind of you want, you know, a a gynecologist with some sort of surgical training or fellowship, they will say laparoscopic surgery or something like that. They'll probably mention endometriosis on their website the reviews of women that have had laparoscopies with them and you can know pretty quickly endometriosis australia on facebook also just so you know have a really great page where women talk about their experiences with doctors um uh, and it's great for me because i use that feedback and i like you were talking with your practitioner list i also have my practitioner list and feedback yeah. who's not um because there are great surgeons and there are not great surgeons
0: Absolutely. And I mean, that's the beautiful thing about Facebook. I always say, find yourself a Facebook group where people are talking about that subject. And if you post in an endo group, endo I'm sure there's an endo support group. If there's a toxic mold support group, there must be an endo support group. Um, and your question is, okay, I'm in Adelaide or I'm in San Diego. I'm really scared about um, having to get um, endo surgery, but I think that's where we're at who's had a really great experience in this city. Um, people are so grateful that they're feeling better on their road, that they absolutely love helping other people and you will just feel so supported and get some really trusty reviews. So I'm I'm a big fan of that.
2: Mm. Me
1: too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So see everyone, if you get stuck, shoot me an email. I'm always happy to help people. Um, nice. <laughs> um, and so can I ask, because i'm thinking of
0: the questions that my community would be uh asking at this point how much is reversible um versus needing to go straight down the surgery road like uh are, are there any particular stages at which you can actually uh reverse that inflammatory tissue progression or is it really necessary there's
1: no science, there's no science for it
0: okay
2: um, but
1: yeah. in but you know there is a lot of individual studies, which shows certain things can suppress the progression of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And listen, sometimes you need surgery. Yeah. Um, And surgery can give you great relief. And if you've got really severe endo, what's often, it depends where you are in the fertility journey and stuff too, but you really need the surgery. You can have the surgery and in a way start from a clean slate. If you work with me or another naturopathic physician, addressing all those root causes, and there's a hundred of them that could have possibly been driving your endo. And that's how I work and other naturopathic clinicians work as well is by basically having a checklist and go, right, could this be affecting you and you test and you tick it off like the gut stuff. And, you know, and the gut stuff is usually where we start. How are your hormones doing? How's your stress doing? You know, what childhood trauma did you go through? What are your environmental exposures? Um, to list a few, and so what happens is, as you slowly tick things off the list, like peeling layers off an onion, is very slowly you'll start to feel better generally. And a lot of women don't realise actually how bad they were feeling. Mm. They look back, they look back retrospectively, and realise how sick they actually were, and they were just pushing through.
0: Yeah, oh, it's awful, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um. And so, in terms of the thyroid testing. Um, obviously, there's the TSH, but then there's a comprehensive T3, T4, reverse T3, antibodies. What shows up on that more comprehensive thyroid panel that then starts to lean you towards endo with the other endo symptoms?
1: Uh, well, in the in the journals, the thing that's most correlated is you know autoimmune thyroiditis, particularly. Which is autoimmune underfunctioning thyroid um, issue. Um, so it's really those thyroid antibodies um, that are associated with endo, and you know it's like, kind of like celiac disease in the same way. There's a correlation with endo because and the 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 thought is it's that underlying immune dysfunction that's underpinning it. Or with thyroid issues, that they, they can be varied with you know, and don't forget thyroid is really the last thing to go. It's the beacon of emergency. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, help me! I've got too much cortisol, too much estrogen, too many toxins, too much mercury. You're in, you needing help. And suddenly, some women, you know, can be fine, 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 and then have a big life stress, like a breakup or they give birth or whatever it is, and it just tips them over and they crash. When you crash, you really crash with thyroid stuff, you know, and thyroid issues. Your hair will start to fall out. You start to put on weight. Your skin's dry. Your bowels will slow down. You know, and it has a you know knock-on effect to your your period um, presentation as well, especially your endo. And so, what's happening in not with everyone, the good doctors, but with a lot of doctors that aren't up to date on how the ranges, the 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 reference ranges on the test were designed, um, and how they're read. You know, a TSH, which is actually not a thyroid hormone, like a lot of people and GPs terrifyingly presume. (laughs) It's actually a pituitary hormone that they measure to assess thyroid function. You know, the range, really anything up to four, a doctor, one to four, is the two to four, the, the doctor thinks is okay, but, you know, really, a well functioning thyroid gland needs to be between 1.5 and 2 so all these people who have got you know a tsh between 2 and 4 are getting missed and then those doctors and if it go unless it goes over 4 there's no justification for the gps to measure all the other thyroid hormones like t- inactive thyroid hormone t4 and then the active one which is the most important t3 and a lot of people can be suffering from hypothyroidism because they're not converting not because they're TSH, but because they're not converting T4 to T3 very well, and that's usually stress or stress or induced. In the case of a woman with endo, it's you know her inability to clear estrogen. It's cortisol. It's a deficiency in zinc, selenium, iodine, um, heavy metals, particularly fluoride and amalgam, like we talked about. There's a long list, and so we want to like tick. We want to know the whole picture of what your current presentation is at. So we can then so the, the complete diagnostics. So then we can kind of come up with the best possible game plan for you to get better. And GPs, some of the, a lot of them, they're missing gaps in the pathology when they're testing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's something that I work with getting filled as well. But yeah, thyroid stuff. Yeah, if it, someone's really hyperthyroid or has Hashimoto's, and if they need meds and they go on them, it can be. Quite life-changing
0: yeah mm. and life-changing in the sense that one of the flow-on effects is an easing of the the
1: endosymptoms easing of endosymptoms their energy comes back their hair starts to grow back they lose mm. they start going to the toilet regularly their skin isn't you know it starts to have moisture and isn't dry their nails stop breaking anything that's kind of metabolic related starts to normalize again
0: yeah incredible and then in terms of sex hormones uh, what are some of the clues that lead to the endo picture there?
1: Uh-huh. Oh,
0: is it an estrogen it.
1: clearance
0: as so, the main one?
1: Uh, uh, no, it's a really big picture. So if we're talking about a blood test, um, so low progesterone is a common picture. But we kind of have to take hormones if they're taken on the right day of your cycle, uh, which is day 21 for your progesterone, day two for pretty much for the rest of them.
0: (laughs) And did you just say day two or day 22?
1: Day day 21 for your progesterone. If your cycle is 28 to 33 days, um, because that's when it's peaking, we want to know how high it is. And day two for your other sex hormones. First of all, a lot of doctors, including gynecologists, are not actually t- writing on the referral or even thinking about correct testing on the right days. So they're not getting the right readings.
0: No. I don't think I did the right day of my cycle for hormones until I was 32. Yeah. And that was a really progressive doctor um, who was... Uh, working with the naturopaths at the health shop to support patients, and that was why that that was even done because the naturopaths taught him.
1: Yeah, mm. that it's done. Anyway, so yeah, day a so day twenty one progesterone. Progesterone is super important because progesterone. I mean, progesterone is a what gets you pregnant. B, it's what gets you. You know, comes as the result of ovulation, keeps you living longer. It with with endometriosis, it's what really keeps that excess of estrogen in check um but the thing with women with endometriosis is you you can see the total amount of progesterone in, a, in or any hormone in a blood test but you can't see the amount of that total that's actually having an effect locking into the receptor on the cell like turning the key and actually doing what it's meant to do and so <clears throat> that's where blood's You know, they're good pointers, but they're not always the answer. And, you know, women with endo have this thing, a lot of them progesterone resistance, where they have the progesterone, but, you know, it's resistant at the cell level. It can't get into the receptor. Um, so, But it's good to know about because one of the things, you know, I probably recommend, even if their progesterone looks normal, to be honest, I very often tell them to ask them to talk to their GP about taking some bioidentical progesterone particularly in the second half of their cycle from ovulation to day one um because it can super ease off things like you know pain and bloating and even symptoms of pms particularly that darker mood side of pms it helps with you know premenstrual sleep which can often go off um, and bioidentical progesterone which is what the brand name is prometrium it's made, made from wild yams so it's a natural product it's in a base of sunflower oil it's a vegetable cap a little gel cap and it's, it's one of those things uh kind of like cbd that the pharmaceutical industry hijacked because they started to notice that it worked better than their synthetic progesterone <laughs> you know and so that can make a huge difference too so knowing about the progesterone knowing about the the pattern of the other sex hormones is important um, estrogen on a blood test isn't the estrogen that we're talking about that's the circulating estrogen The estrogen I'm talking about when we talk about endo is the old estrogen metabolites that basically stack up in the liver because women with endometriosis have this genetic predisposition where they're, unlike healthy women, they're unable to clear estrogen from the liver very well.
0: Mm, Got it. And so what is that test called?
1: Well, so that you can't do with your doctor. If you really want to know where you're at with that, um, there are a couple of different tests. The one I do with a private lab is called an estrogen metabolite panel, and we can see where somebody's at. And the cool thing about that panel is it also gives you a kind of idea of oh A where you're at, but B,
2: you know,
1: which type of estradiol. Is higher than the other and what risks are you at with certain you know estrogenic cancers which are hugely linked to endometriosis um so,
0: so is this like a dutch test a urine test
1: uh you, you can you can do dutch um but yeah the, this is a separate test okay so. um but the dutch test is also very useful too um mm. so hormones Yeah, and going back to the hormone picture i mean we talk about that firestorm that leads to endometriosis in the first place, and there's not a lot of science between on this. There's none, but I see it every day, so and hear of it every day. I've been through it. What what's often the picture of women endometriosis is that they're, <clears throat> you know, if you imagine estrogen and progesterone are like a seesaw, the estrogen's up, progesterone's down. It's all like why? And we know estrogen's up because of this poor clearance, which is a genetic predisposition triggered by something. And the question is, well, why is the progesterone down? And really when you start to talk to these women with endo, they all have or have had or do have chronic stress in their lives. And I'm not talking about just life stress or work stress, psychological stress. It can be physical stress like infections and things like that. It can, you know, it can be trauma from your past. I mean, there is quite a bit of data now showing the link between abuse, particularly sexual abuse and women that develop endometriosis later on. Um, and that stress over time, if we relate it back to hormones, if you're constantly secreting little bits of cortisol, you're eventually going to run out. And what happens is you just start to run out. The bo- the body deals the ingredients of your progesterone that make your progesterone over so you can make more cortisol so you can be more stressed and so you see this you know depending where you are in the stress picture this high stress or burnout sort of picture low progesterone inability to get rid of estrogen picture and so you can support estrogen clearance with certain supplements and fixing the environment but if you don't start to support progesterone levels and but also what drove the diminishment of those progesterone levels in the first place the person isn't going to get the the optimum result that they're looking for yeah Um, makes sense we call that you know hpa dysfunction people know it's adrenal fatigue again the good endocrinologists around town absolutely recognize it um, you can absolutely measure it on a test. Um, sometimes natural natural stuff like supplements and herbs can help. Sometimes you need a bit of help with bioidentical hormones as well, under the supervision of the right doctor. Yeah, that's another really big part of it too.
0: So let's talk about then uh, preventative strategies. Let's just say you're either a parent to a young girl, and you just want to set them up for success, or you've had your surgery and you have, as you said, this clean slate, Um, what are some of the most powerful lifestyle interventions? So obviously you've mentioned stress. I'd be interested to hear about nutrition as well, because that's just such a minefield and people seem to become so confused because we've completely externalised the conversation around what my body needs we keep on trying to follow different gurus to get the answers but what is the science telling us about what the best way forward to nourish our bodies and um and set ourselves up to not either redevelop or develop it in the first place
1: um i think it's important to remember which always sounds weird coming from a nutritionist that diet diet dietary strategies um are useful but they're really the tip of the iceberg when it comes to endometriosis and it's not just not important right but really if a body is hel- a body is healthy and resilient like it should be without stress you should be able to have a balance of all foods and not be by them um, but there are certain dietary strategies that you can use to to limit your endometriosis symptoms um, you know a lot of people know about dairy foods um, and the inflammatory nature, particularly the A1 casein protein, beta casein protein in cow dairy in Australia, also places like South Africa, New Zealand, America and England, Um, you know, some people, it can, the inflammatory reaction, it can also trigger a histamine reaction, which can worsen stuff like anxiety, depression and pain and fatigue. Um, So there's that dairy component. And some women with endo best off all dairy, and some women are actually okay on sheep, buffalo, goat, which has about ninety-seven percent less casein. Um, it's kind of you just have to kind of play with it. You eliminate a food group at a time, three or four weeks, and you slowly introduce and you symptom watch. A lot of the intolerance tests that people are using as well aren't particularly evidence based. So I don't. Use yeah. Them. Um, but dairy is definitely one where people get a lot of relief, but particularly cow dairy. Um, mm-hmm. Gluten, a lot of people know about. Listen, not everybody has an issue with gluten, but gluten, you know, that protein molecule that makes bread wonderful and bendy and amazing to eat, um, is also, according to science, the most inflammatory food molecule on the planet. It literally pierces holes in your gut and can create inflammation, which then triggers that immune dysfunction. Um, <clears throat> you know, the other thing to mention with gluten is, you know, a lot of people don't talk about gluten has glyphosate in a pesticide which is definitely a known contributor to uh, the pathology of endometriosis when you talk about that later Um, and it also you know particularly things like yeast um, yeast is what is something we call a biological amine and if I had to pick one food group for people with women with endo to to maybe limit or come off altogether and slowly reintroduce it would be amines a lot of people know amines like high histamine foods a lot of you might have heard of um you know and some people are sensitive to them women with endo tend to be sensitive to them because their guts generally aren't working very well and they have this pre-existing high estrogen state um and estrogen which fuels endo, what it does, it stimulates these mast cells inside your body to release histamine and then downregulates the enzyme that's designed to break histamine down in your gut. Um, and then on the flip side, histamine stimulates the ovaries to make more estrogen. So you get this big chicken and egg cycle of estrogen and histamine. And so you can break, one of the ways you can break that, apart from working on the gut um, and your environment, is to eliminate these foods. And I amines... Mean, <clears throat> are things basically that are age. Um, they're caused by the breakdown of proteins and food. Um, they can cause in those that are sensitive to them, they can cause a lot of symptoms which are very common in women with endo like chronic fatigue, um, chronic pain, including period pain, migraines, anxiety, depression, clenching and grinding your teeth, eczema, and things like that. And a lot of, you know, high-aiming foods are the foods that we've been told to eat lots of by the media. So stuff like fermented foods, like eat, drink, kombucha, you know, eat your yogurt for the gut bacteria. Worst thing ever for someone with endo. Um, Alcohol, especially wines and beers are particularly fermented. But then, you know, even things like vinegar, right? So a traditional bone broth, which is heavily marketed in the name of health, has bones, vegetables, water, and a cup of white vinegar. (laughs) Um, But then natural foods like dried fruit and things like bananas and avocados and grapes and eggplant and spinach. Um, So a lot of foods that people think they're eating a lot of, thinking in the name of health, there's no one food group for everyone. And women with endo, those foods are likely going to add to your symptoms. Yeah. Um, you know, and even with foods like you could have an amine free meal, leave it in the fridge, and because of time that goes past, two nights later, you go to eat it again. That aging has create has heightened its, you know, amine content, or even grilling on a barbecue when you brown things that can increase a grilling content. And so, you know, what I tend to do, especially with amines, because it's so such a big group, is and I'm also about balance, right? You have to go to a restaurant and be able to enjoy yourself. Yeah make you worse as well but you know when I work with women with endo at least for eight weeks I get them to come off it strictly you know and then slowly we introduce things one by one and what most women with endo will notice is, oh that thing gave me a jaw ache or oh that cup of bone broth made my ovaries hurt or I ate I ate a bowl of spinach in my salad and I suddenly felt tired so the point is is that um is that everybody has different you know big triggers and it's about staying away from those big triggers and just learning your triggers, right? So you learn to, you know, manage and navigate that through life because I, you know, I don't want it with my clients. I don't want to be seeing them forever. I just want to teach them how to manage themselves. So after the period they spend with me, they can go off and know how to keep their symptoms at bay.
0: Absolutely. And it's starting to sound like, uh, And correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's starting to sound like all the things we know for all the inflammatory diseases and syndromes that we've discussed on the show and we've heard of before, but just for some women, it then produces a flourishing environment for endo.
1: Yeah. And listen, the science with diet and endo is, in my opinion, outdated. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's boring and it sounds like it's funded by certain food lobbies, lobbyists. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I go with it, like what I see helps people clinically versus a lot of the old science that's there. I hope the science changes and people start to catch up, but it's always about money in science and people. Mm.
0: So a woman's with you working with you. What kind of meal picture are you sending her home with? Oh, that's
1: a big one. Um So I have, I run a program and um, I don't write meal plans. That's something that. Dietitian will do but i do send them away with 100 different endo safe recipes um you know snacks main meals condiments you name it um i suppose the 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 two biggest things are one where women with endo and women generally by the way getting in you know 20 25 grams of protein before 9am can completely change your day Um, And getting that amount of protein in the form of food is very difficult, particularly for women who just don't eat as much. And so, you know, I have a particular shake that I love that I refer women to. um, And I get them to start drinking that in the morning instead of their breakfast or on top of their breakfast. And their energy will be usually revolutionized during the day. So that's the first thing. And then, you know, teaching people how to balance their plate. And women with endo, because of that kind of stress underlying, very often have that underlying stress adrenal picture, tend to do better with smaller, more frequent meals versus just two, you know, three separate meals. Um and I definitely one of the things that I come across is you know this intermittent fasting craze with everyone. All most intermittent fasting research has been done on men. Yeah. Like you were talking about before, and as my friend Lara Bryden says, you know, women are not little men. <laughs> it's a such a good women-
0: one, isn't it? It's women women,
1: are, women not are not little men, <laughs> and we, we have a very different biological profile. And a lot of women, particularly their period symptoms and menstrual cycle, generally and can start to get a lot worse with intermittent fasting. Twelve hours on and off is okay, but anything more than that, I would avoid. Especially these intermittent fasts are encouraging you know, 16, 18 hours off, and then have a cup of black coffee in the morning <laughs> on an empty stomach, which is the worst thing for anyone to do, but particularly women who are women who are concerned with their hormonal health. Um and it's often what people are doing, um they're reaching for because they're tired and not hungry because their blood sugar has crashed during the night. Again another sign of maybe some sort of adrenal dysfunction. Um so intermittent fasting and stuff too. But yeah, so a low, low gluten, low dairy low amine diet, caffeine is always interesting. It depends on the person and state of their adrenals. Coffee, generally, if it's, you know, after food, organic, even better freshly ground and it's once a day and you don't get a symptom from it, great. But a lot of women with endo are triggered. They're, you know Their symptoms are definitely triggered by coffee. Um, you know, if it's not organic with coffee, it's full of pesticides and moulds and mycotoxins that can fuel endo too. Um, so I'm not anti caffeine. I'm and I'm coffee is actually my favourite thing in the world, smell, taste wise. But for women with endo, it's not such a great thing. You're better off with green tea or black tea or something like Earl Grey, right? Which has anti aging benefits. <laughs> and so
0: obviously uh, we have to drink water. I'm curious to see what you recommend in terms of filtration uh, for. Uh, people uh, you know tap water's not all it's cracked up to be basically so what do we need to watch for there
1: yeah I think um, <clears throat> I'm probably going to get some hate mail for this but the science you know in uh, late 60s there was a research paper saying calcium fluoride's good for your teeth in, in America and so they decided to fluoridate the water but I think people have to understand that there's the difference between calcium fluoride and the form of fluoride that they're actually putting in the tap water in Australia. And last time I checked, which was on the government website, I actually rechecked it two weeks ago, it's it's quite a nasty form of fluoride that comes from a chemical waste plant in Geelong. And <clears throat> fluoride, along with mercury, is one of those crazy neurotoxins. Um, it can interrupt hormones. It damages DNA. Um, it drives inflammation. It can also cause the, you know, the death of, of endometrial cells and inflammation that way too. And Sydney tap water is full of it amongst other things. And so buying a really good filter that takes out what you'll see, there'll, there'll be no filters that will ever guarantee taking out 100% of the fluoride. Most of them will say 98 99% of the fluoride. As long as it says that, um, that's the key. I personally prefer reverse osmosis systems A lot of people don't like that because they feel like they suck the minerals out, but I'm always, for myself and my clients, replacing the minerals in other ways, so I'm not particularly worried. Um, You know, and also be careful with fluoride. I mean, things like fluoridated toothpaste is another thing, although most mainstream pharmacies surprisingly now sell non-fluoridated toothpaste. Mm, Yeah. Um, But also, like, coffee and tea that's not organic, Um, things like, like oats, potatoes, things like dried fruit, particularly sultanas, canned shellfish, any those things that aren't organic, they're they're usually washed in pretty fluoridated water. Um, And so watching, you know, that too. And if you really want to go the extra mile, you know, making sure you've got a a filter on your shower too. Your skin is the biggest organ in your body, so it's going to absorb it that way. Um, And also keeping in mind that boiling doesn't get rid of fluoride. A lot of people seem to think that um will kill any sort of pathogens in the water but it won't get rid of dirt and it definitely won't get rid of heavy metals including fluoride or even chlorine which is a bit of. um so you know you always want to filter even using filtered water in your cooking if you can and you can get a you can get an 80 jug or you can get the huge under you know sink system for two or three grand there's a huge variety and there's something for everybody
0: Mm, yeah. Brilliant. Um, and I'll put some um, options up in the show notes for people who are wanting to explore that. Um, I always say with fluoride, look, half the world fluoridates, the other half doesn't look at the reasons why, and then see what you feel comfortable with at the end of the day. Um, but like you, Alex, I think the source of the fluoride we use that literally cannot be disposed of any other way then but through tap water for me is a huge uh industrial backdoor deal red flag um and you know having um having had the author of industrial strength denial on the show Barbara Fries, a couple of years ago where she talks about these stages of of awareness and how much activism is required to get change across the line in various chemical exposures. Uh, It gives you a bit of a window into where we're at with things like fluoride, I think as well. And, um, and then that helps people make those decisions.
1: Um, though, just keep in mind, it's not just what you're drinking, particularly on the east coast of Australia. Let's look like Sydney, for example. There, there are so many things just in Sydney Harbour, in, in like heavy metals, for example, that you can correlate to endometriosis amongst a you know, hundred other diseases, which are sitting there embedded in the soil. Um, there are viruses that are wandering around, including COVID, which they are testing regularly. And it's, this stuff is reported in the media, but for some reason, it's not really talked about in in the medical world. That you know, if you if if it's been raining and you go for a swim at Bondi or Balmoral or in Manly, chances are the sewage has come out that way. And so, you're whatever you put your head under the water, you're getting exposure to potentially to those bugs or toxins. So, you know, be very careful if you are vulnerable or if you have endo, you know, I wouldn't be swimming and putting your head under anywhere near the time of rain, which makes it hard in Sydney with how much it's raining in the summer, you know, and the same thing with public pools and stuff, you can think about the bug load in those, but also, the, you know, the chlorination of the pool um, can add up as well. So, yeah, just getting conscious about where you're putting your body is super important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And please bring on a hot, dry summer at some point. I'd love that. Let's channel that now. (laughs) Um, Okay, and now something we haven't talked about is a lot of the fertility picture with endo. Now a lot of people get told, I remember with PCOS I was told it would be very hard to have a baby, then I worked with a naturopath and thankfully it wasn't in the end. Um, It can be for some. Um, Is that the same thing for endo? do therefore a lot of women with endo end up on an IVF journey whether they need to be there or not based on their own level of awareness of and understanding and then what what do we do about that
1: yeah i mean it depends it depends what you read you know infertility i mean last night i read a paper where they were they said which i was surprised it was 50% of women experience infertility with endo which i thought was a bit high you know 25 to 30 is what i've always known it as Uh, I think so there there are two scenarios. There's the scenario of the woman that doesn't know she has endo but has it, and that's 25% of women have silent endometriosis, and those women usually don't find out about it until they start trying for a baby. And, you know, very often what happens is these women go to their GPs, the GPs aren't sure what to do with them because they're not particularly trained in identifying endo, particularly silent endo. Um, and so they get referred to a fertility clinic. Um, most of the fertility clinics, by the way, are privately owned and operate on profit. And the number of doctors they put you through, and you know, the good fertility clinics are screening. And I know some amazing fertility doctors, but you know, there are most a lot of them, or most of them, are for endo. And so what can happen is these women who don't know how they have endos, they get put through these repeated cycles of IVF, which include these huge doses. Of estrogenic IVF drugs, particularly the ones used for egg collection, which, which can actually then feed the endo.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and
1: what happens is a last resort, because they can't figure it out, um, in quotation for anyone that's listening, <laughs> uh, they'll do a last resort laparoscopy, which is the gold standard for diagnosing endometriosis. And voila, they're riddled with endometriosis. And, and sometimes all it takes is, you know, Efficient excision for the cutting away of the endometriosis. It's has been a structural problem, and then the woman can get pregnant on her own. Sometimes they need a bit more help, but really, what would be the ideal is that these women are getting screened properly, knew that they had it, had the laparoscopy first, then you know for the six months after had a crack at doing it on their own, and then if there were issues, potentially mm. going to IVF. Um, yeah, it's
0: it's the referral straight from the GP to the clinic. That's the problem. Like, wouldn't you go to an endocrinologist first?
1: No, the doctor, the GPs aren't doing that.
0: Okay. And also, again, not their fault because this is just what we culturally normally do in this situation. Oh, yeah, you can't then. get pregnant. You go to a clinic.
1: And she hasn't got any symptoms, right? Because GPs yeah third, so the basically the third top symptom of endometriosis is infertility. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to check. You have to tick all those boxes. Um, and so so that's one one story. You know, the other story is someone that does know they have endo. Um, now, if they don't meet someone that's a bit more holistic, like in my world, they'll often get referred straight into IVF as well. I'm not not really being aware of how IVF drugs can make endo worse. And then it can fail. The other thing, um, or not, sometimes it works. The other thing that that happens is there's a, apart from a disconnect between the research between medicine, medicine and research, there's also a disconnect between the research, the national guidelines for doctors and the doctors in clinical practice. So yes. So if we talk about infections, for example, a lot of the infections which in in the data are very well documented to, call, you know, contribute potentially to endometriosis, endometriitis, all these reproductive issues, chronic, you know, repeated miscarriage in particular, you know, some of those infections are silent and they're not being screened for, let alone getting screened using the right technology, which again is PCR. So another one of the probably in my top five tests for women with endometriosis is I get them to do a vaginal microbiome swab because private labs will screen you properly for everything. And and once you've got evidence, you know, and other things can come back on the test, but with these infections in particular, once you've got evidence, if if you've got a good doctor or a doctor that's open-minded, that's open to reading research that's sent to him by someone like me, um, they then know what to do. And it's usually a couple of weeks of a particular antibiotic or two to take care of that. And so that's another thing that's got to be ticked off in the fertility world, and making sure that the woman's different strains of lactobacilli, the good healthy bacteria, are in a good place. Which I've never seen a woman with endometriosis that has good good levels of lactobacillus ever. <laughs> I can't think of a single. World. Uh, you know, and how is lactobacilli in the vagina affected? A lot of the time, it's environmental stuff. You know, you know what sort of undies are you wearing? Uh, you know, are your pads bleached and non-organic? You know, are you washing your vagina with with you know soap that could be killing things off, you know, and there's a very long list that can affect that. So another really big part of the work is, one, making sure you, you're making, you know, toilet paper, switching your white bleach toilet paper for unbleached um, bamboo toilet paper, which you can get at most supermarkets now, right, can make a big difference. But then on the flip side, sorting the infection piece out, but then also working on building up that healthy vaginal, you know, microbiome, which leads, you know, up the part of the, you know, the cervix and the uterine cavity and everything else. And you can do that with definitely not foods, but things like vaginal pre and probiotics, which, you know, I do a lot of work with as well. But back to fertility, so just making sure all of those things that were loading the woman's body up that were uh, contributing to the endo in the first place you want them ticked off the list before you try and get pregnant. Because the other thing is some a lot of those things can all, are also correlated in the research to not just negative um, pregnancy outcomes like miscarriage and preterm birth, but also the actual overall health of the baby, which even all the way until the baby's for their health when they're 40 years old and what sort of health problems they encounter at that point. Yeah. So, yes, by by working on the underlying causes of endo, you are naturally going to enhance your fertility 100%. Mm.
0: Brilliant. And and so I just wanted to ask one final question, which is uh, are we basically dealing with needing to do a really broad health assessment? If things just aren't right, we've got painful periods, no one seems to be helping us, it seems to me that the first stop is some sort of Uh, holistic practitioner, whether you go with an integrative physician, naturopathic physician, naturopath, um, whoever, uh, that will actually help you get a complete and precise picture of your thyroid hormones, sex hormones, take an accurate health history, take a house uh, assessment, uh, basic questionnaire. You know, it feels like people just You know, we could put endo, we could replace that with inflammation generally in other systems. If someone's just not well and can't figure it out, the next stop is work with someone to do a really precise testing round and questionnaire.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Getting a, the accurate, comprehensive, complete picture, but also probably more importantly, getting an understanding of what is driving that picture in the first place it's important it's super individual for every single person and it always comes down to stress or stressors because it's stress and stress or psychological physical environmental it, it, there is, it's responsible for every single disease state by changing the way our genes are expressed and You know, if the genes work according to the environment, what happens is if you can understand what those stresses are driving your issues and you relieve the body of that, you're going to turn off those genes that are causing problems and recover in that respect. That's how you really get long-term results. Um, But, yeah, and the other really big thing is finding a practitioner that can spend time with you. Even in my world, the standard is an hour for an initial consult I do 75 minutes. Sometimes I go to 90 minutes. And I every day I think, God, I wish I could spend longer. But there often comes a point where you've got to pace, you know, people who aren't used to dealing with health stuff mentally mm-hmm. so much. But um, yeah. someone that's got the time to really sit down and listen to you um, and someone that's truly holistic. Integrative GPs, there are some good ones out there. What I would say with integrative GPs is check their qualifications. There's a lot of integrative GPs in Australia just calling themselves that, and they're just GPs that mm. like to about 700 bucks an hour. Um, make sure they've got some sort of nutrition, naturopathy a qualification potentially from acne. Yeah. Um, behind them before you go that way too.
2: Yeah. I would
0: agree. Absolutely. Um, so audition your health practitioners, let yourself feel in control, do not stop until you get the answers you want. Uh, those seem to be the recurring themes and then all of those incredibly important lifestyle and root cause uh, investigations that you mentioned that we're here for all sorts of states of feeling unwell. There they are again and they're here for endo this time. So thank you so much, Alex, for taking us through what has been a minefield for so many women in the dark for so long Um and I'm really excited to share your course and a few other bits that you have in our show notes for people who maybe want some support but can't go and see practitioners. That's not always easy to do or you don't live in a place where it's easily accessible. Um, really great work. So I really appreciate you and, and what you're doing to help women.
1: Thanks for having me. And, yeah, I work completely online, so I see women all over the world um, in every time zone. And I run a program called um, Conquer Endo Naturally. It's on my website. So feel free to check that out. And listen, I just want to end with it's not a quick fix. Mm. Um, It's a slow fix, but it's absolutely worth it. I made a career out of it so much so. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. A
0: A lot of people need the help. Thanks, Alex. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram, at Life or one word, or my personal Instagram, uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at lowtoxlife. Uh, and, of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support, and community around leading a low tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club. For just $49 Australian per year, which is about 29.30 US, about 27 euro, and about 25 pounds, you get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the Explore tab, and you'll see Join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.